Yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man, I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, she tap. I'ma do the dab, yeah. Dr. Cavill, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Talkin they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot, yeah. And who the ball, So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, Boy. cause he gon' teach a lesson. Yes. This is Dr. Gaville with Inside HBCU Sports Lab. As you see, I'm representing today. I think somebody's going to get an all-sports trophy. We'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, I like it. When you were down, uh, I should say up, actually, for the baseball tournament, you got your MEAC Nation on. Yes, yes. We represent both sides in the HBCU sphere. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Welcome to episode 269 of Inside the HBCU Sports Lab show and podcast. The show that's covering the sporting HBCU dash for all things HBCU sports from institutions large and small. From NAIA to the NCAA, we share insights and information on the HBCU sports culture and HBCU athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of HBCU athletic programs in the business of HBCU sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kenyatta Cavilla, along with my co-host, Mike Washington Charles Bishop. We're filming from our home studios and sending a signal live to KCOH's 12.30 a.m. studios with the Texas Radio Hall of Famer, who created a Twitter storm talking about Ace the Howard is going to the SWAC. Uh, I guess we'll deal with that in a little bit. In the beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. And that's multi-radio Hall of Famer, Ralph Cooper. So before I get it going, A.D. Drew, how you doing today? Doing excellent, Dr. Gaville. Doing excellent. You know, you ever had one of those just raggedy days and you just, things just don't go right, just don't go as, as planned. But some reason, I, I still out up here on inside the HBCU Sports Lab. You know, that that's the one, you know, constant being a part of this show, either in front of the camera or behind the camera, it seems like. Well, we like the way you're constant on the show, which brings us, as everybody sees now, that Mike is out on assignment. We still trying to figure out what that means. But we also have Charles out on assignment, and we'll see if we can bring him in because when Charles is out on assignment, it looks like he's least trying to work. My understanding that Charles is in Jackson, Mississippi, covering uh, a camp there. So we're going to see if we can bring him in, let him talk a little bit about the camp there. Let's see if he's ready. We might take a quick break and come back and bring him in. Uh, and make sure he can give us a breakdown of what's going on. So let's take our first quick break in here and set him up so he'll be ready to go. He's here, Doc. You still want to talk? Right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's wait on paying the bills. You know, we can always pay the bills, but let's wait on that. We got nothing other than the superstar. Uh, uh, we believe the I love. Man, y'all got so many name tags, hashtags going around here. Coach Prime, what do you like, Cody? Coach Cody. <laughs> Cody. I've been saying, how's it going, y'all? I'm doing well, Doc. Doing well over here at um, 
over here, Jackson, over here at Coach Prime's Elite Camp, uh, over the next couple of days, uh, there will be a, a tremendous number of campers, over 500, close to 600 campers, 400 today, 175, I believe, tomorrow for the Elite Camp. And then you have a seven-on-seven -seven camp that will be on Saturday. So uh, it's a whole lot of action. Uh, I don't know if you can see it over my shoulder, but you got quarterback group throwing. You got uh, running backs against linebackers. A lot of competition. Uh, I'm going to turn, and then hopefully you see a lot of fans in the stands. So a real festive atmosphere out here. Man, that's pretty big time. What makes this unique in terms of the HBCU landscape of this uh, being a part of Jack State University's SWAC and HBCU overall? I think the unique part about it is that you have so many young kids who are excited to be a part of this HBCU sphere, this, this Jackson State sphere, if you will. But uh, one of the things, just in talking to a lot of the kids, they're just excited to be here in the state and excited to, to, to work in front of these coaches, uh, a lot of pro coaches. They're getting a lot of great up-close um, uh, instruction from a lot of uh, guys. You got some pro guys out here walking around. You probably have a lot more walking around tomorrow, but Sports and Mission Director told me there are 22 different schools out here in terms of coaches from high school, uh, a lot of Division One, the JUCO ranks as well. You'll have over 40 some odd schools here tomorrow. Well, we can't let it all be about D.I. Love. I mean, all, although it seems to be Jackson State all the time, but you know, there's a little, little, little something that happened. We'll talk about a little bit. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd represent, represent. And, you know, I was in Charlotte, so I represented for the home team. But before we let you go, let me let Drew get in here and ask a follow up question. Yeah, Charles, you know, uh, you, you mentioned some of the stuff that's going on in the camp, and you've been around athletics enough to know, especially around these football camps. You've got all different kinds of football camps. You've got the quote-unquote fun camp where you let kids just come out and uh, have fun with just, with just a little instruction. Then you've got some of the deep instruction where people really get inside the individual skills and drills that you need for, for that position. And and all kinds of camps in between. So what what type of camp atmosphere do you see there of that of that spectrum from one to the other? What type of camp do you see there? What type of athletes do you see participating in this camp? Well, first and foremost, let me tell you, I was blown away by the size of a lot of sophomores uh, and freshmen around here today. Uh, you talk about juniors and seniors. If you know anything about uh, Prime and Coach Prime, I mean, it is all about competition, 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 and more competition. So it is one of those type camps. It is not fun and games, but uh, it is definitely, guys, trying to get on the radar. And that's one of the things a lot of coaches were talking about in terms of doing your best, competing hard, so that you can get on the radar, especially for those rising sophomores and juniors, you know, trying to get those, those scholarship offers. But, you know, you got a lot of guys. I mean, one of the things, they're diving for balls around here. Uh, you've seen a couple of tackles. You've seen, uh, you know, guys kind of had kind of had to be broken up a little bit. But uh, it is that sort of competition. And we haven't even gotten to tomorrow where uh, the quote-unquote uh, elite prospects are, uh, will be coming in. With that uh, being can said, I follow up on that? Oh, go ahead. Follow up, Drew. Yeah, let me follow up on that. Now, uh, of the athletes there, are these, uh, in your opinion, are these FBS-type athletes, future FBS athletes, FCS athletes, D2 athletes, uh, mix? What, 
What percentage would you equate that to as far as FBS uh, athletes, FCS athletes, and possible D2 slash NAIA athletes? That's a great question, A.D. I think one of the things that uh, I've seen thus far is you have a good mixture of both. Uh, today, uh, you have a lot of guys who have that quote-unquote FBS height to weight uh, sort of deal that everybody looks for. A lot of those sorts of guys, you have some undersized guys that are super fast. Uh, you're talking about sophomores and rising juniors. Some guys are running four, four, sevens, you know, uh, four, five, ones, things of that nature. So uh, you got some guys that are some burners out here. You got some uh, pretty elite guys, and I guess we haven't even got to the quote elite guys on tomorrow. And then I think the seven on seven will be very spirited as well. All right. Anything for the big guys before I turn it back over to Charles? Just, just curious. A lot of big guys over here. A lot of guys getting like, the reps in. In the trenches. A lot of guys. Yes, indeed. That, that's where the skirmishes kind of have broken out. You know, you talk about <laughs> that, 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 that's been fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch. All right. With that being said, as a follow up and sticking with the camp a little bit before we maybe transition to another component. Um, what has you most excited about, you know, being able to really be in the mix and see this from a different level? What has you, um, your juices uh, running, if you would, overflowing? I, I think, you know, that we start this 2022 season. Uh, a, a lot of the campers are, are a lot of the players. Uh, they're excited about the new strength and conditioning coach. Uh, they're, they're, they're already talking about the, how much he's been putting them through the paces already. Uh, but a lot of the, sort of hands-on instruction that you see these guys, they've really grown leaps and bounds uh, from 2021. And one of the, the, the themes that you get from everybody is everybody knows the expectations. Everybody knows that meat was left on the bone last year in terms of the, the celebration bowl. And uh, they're ready. They're excited to get back, you know, uh, get back to camp, to be honest with you. Uh, I like that meat left on the bone. That's pretty interesting mm -hmm. uh, framework to put it is people are hungry. Uh, yeah. to get some things done this season even more um, as that first full season, if you allow me to use that second coaching stint, uh, what Jackson State was able to do. With that being said, I want to follow up in terms of off the field. You have information out there about uh, coaching coming on board. Can you provide any verification updates on that? And if so, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I got a chance to meet uh, Coach Tim Brewster, uh, who, uh, of course, has FBS experience, former head coach. University of Minnesota. He's excited to get out here. Uh, he'll be uh, one of the tight ends. He'll be the tight ends coach for Jackson State. But of course, he brings a, a, a wealth of experience. Uh, of course, his acumen in, in terms of recruiting has been well documented uh, in terms of what he was do, uh, able to do uh, at Florida. But, uh, you know, it, one of the things that always sticks out with regards to this staff, Doc, is the camaraderie. Uh, they have a lot of fun, but they get a lot of work done as well. So those are the things that you really take notice of when they are, are around each other. No doubt. Appreciate your time. Uh, we'll get in here um, and let you get back to the business in terms of you being on assignment. We don't want to get Coach Prime too mad, hogging a little bit of this attention. Uh, but tell him we appreciate it. Hey, Charles, no doubt, I need no some inside information. I need to know how uh, Jackson State going to beat FAMU so I can make sure I tell Coach uh, Simmons what's going on so uh, we have a counter ready for you. No bulletin board uh, material for you, AD. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You guys. <laughs> hey, they're going to have to put the work in. I know FAMU is loaded, so I don't know what this, this 2022 squad is going to do yet, but I'll tell you what, September, Labor Day weekend, we'll see these. 
Hey, I'm, well, I'm looking I, I forward did, to it. I did hear and sit across for the, the championship game, Alabama State head coach Eddie George. You know, he had some mixing in. He said he got a little coach. He wants to know some information too. You know, he said if I, I, I think, give him, he'll, he'll hook me up. So I'm just saying. I think one of the exciting things about this upcoming 2022 season, Doc, is everybody has gotten better. And the question becomes, has Jackson State gotten that much better? So, you know, that I think that's a, a question that's out there for us for SWAC Media Day. But, I mean, uh, the way the entire SWAC has gone around and they picked up the pieces that they needed, this is going to be one of those seasons for the ages. I'm looking forward to it. Well, well Anthony I don't West care who it is. Somebody that, uh, just needs, Mayna, needs to beat the B.A. Coach Alabama A&M, he wants to make sure that he gets his uh, Bulldog right in here. He said, oh, no, another Lee I like show. So he wants to know some information about Alabama A&M. He, he thinks the Bulldog is going to be just fine. He wants to know what's the job. Hey, I know Coach Maynard, he brought in a whole lot of FBS transfers and things of that nature because, you know, I don't think they want to see that homecoming thing happen again. So I, I know everybody's going to be loaded for this Jackson State squad. It's going to be a heck of a season. Looking forward to it. I, I tell you what I'm really excited about. Uh, the new strength and conditioning coach. Uh, that, that's every. That's kind of the buzz around here. Is everybody's bodies are, are tired from the first two days of work? He's really oh, wow. getting them. That sounds really good. Crazy. But as Drew said, Neak in South Carolina State, those Bulldogs over there are jumping a bit. They won't want to get it back out there. But we know we got a new coach over there at Morgan State, Norfolk State. So Neak says, uh, <laughs> as well as Howard, they say, don't count us out. We, we want hey, some Hey, it's somebody down in Montgomery too. saying, hey, uh, don't forget about me. Uh, you know, we was with him this weekend, Coach E-Rob. Uh, we was up yeah. there in the press box uh, on, on Sunday uh, talking about what he going to do in the, in the swag also. Hey, hey we hey, ain't got there's a goal. The <laughs> there's a there, There's a goal. Miak has bragging rights. I acknowledge it. Hey, there, there there's a bar that the Jackson State has to get to. You know, the, the reality of it is the swag hasn't beaten Miak. Uh, since Grambling and Celebration Bowl, there, there's a bar that everybody has to reach up towards. And the MEAC right now, they got bragging rights. I like that attitude. Well, that'll do us. We'll hit our break. We'll get back to it right after this break. Appreciate you, Charles. Get back to work. Like I said, we don't want to make sure Cody is mad at us. Let him, let him know we said hey. No doubt about it. We'll do. All right, Charles. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like really loves don't worry, Ma, we'll be there soon. We? Is this the one? Well, let's say I found the one who takes me to another level. Always stays calm under pressure. Most importantly, the one that helps me discover the coolest places. This sounds wonderful. Come outside, I'll introduce you. They're here. Definitely the one. <laughs> Introducing the all-new Nissan Frontier. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com 
and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. This is Dr. Will with Inside HBCU Sports Lab. Some of y'all have been following me on Twitter, and I posted on Facebook and Instagram. You know, I was telling you a little bit about the conference over there, the Higher Education Leadership Foundation, which was uh, founded essentially by the president of um, Wiley College uh, with his strong emphasis of making sure that more collective work was coming together with HBCU presidents. So, um, you have a lot of the NIA presidents, uh, NCAA Division II presidents, certainly a lot of the private HBCUs that are coming together, you know, Felton over there, uh, Edward Waters, like I said, coming together. And I had a chance to present um, a lot on the value add of college athletics using qualitative and qualitative data analysis. In the second half of the show, we'll take a little deeper dive, but I want to kind of tease that out. And that's why we're starting a little later than possible. But uh, it was a fascinating opportunity to get out there and talk and listen to uh, some of the experts, as you would say, that are in the field in terms of presidents, um, VPs, financial VPs in terms of CFOs, as well as VPs of athletics, directors of athletics, uh, commissioners, uh, commissioner of CIAA, McWilliams was there, uh, commissioner Kiki Baker Barnes was there of the Gold Coast Athletic Conference. She was the one that actually invited me down and, and made sure I had a platform. Um, and so it was tremendous to see that type of work and just want to let the people know that uh, people out there listening, putting in work, uh, interesting framework that was sit, set up there. So we had a chance to take a deeper dive in terms of what that looks like in a lot of ways. So I kind of wanted to speak that out there a little bit before we got back into some news, but we'll get a chance to go in there even much more than we have so far in terms of breaking down what that looks like uh, for all those that were uh, asking some questions on that and wanting some more information. I think we'll get a chance to take maybe a little more dive in that in terms of what that looks like uh, from that framework. But let's get into it a little bit. What's some news of the day that you wanted to jump into? Drew? Uh, well, I'm going to hold the Commissioner's Cup uh, congratulations to Prairie View A&M, but we're going to come back to that. I want to get into some of this track, Dr. Cavill. Yeah. Uh, let's get into right. this track. Uh, start, let's start with North Carolina A&T, but let's, let's start on the ladies' side, uh, Dr. Cavill. We already know how great the men are. We don't highlight the women as much as we, uh, as, as we should. Uh, great point. That's fair. And forgive me for mispronouncing her name because I know I'm getting ready to mispronounce it. Grace Wakaka. Wakaka and uh, Miss Salmon qualified in the 100 and the 200 meters uh, for the Nationals in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tongue twisted today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really getting tongue, tongue twisted right here. Uh, let's see, we got McDuffie 
in the, I believe that's in the quarter. So we've got three from a from A&T. You've got four Lady Bison who are going to Eugene, Oregon. Uh, you've got the four by four team. Uh, got a qualifier in the 100 and the 200 meter dash. And uh, yeah, so that that that's highlighting the women and Coppin State. We've got we've got uh, some men who qualified. Joseph Ma- Manu in the in the double, the Michael Johnson, as I call it, the 100 and the 200. Nice. Uh, Qualified? Uh, no, no, that wasn't Michael Johnson. Who was it who ran the one hundred and two hundred in the uh, race? Because yeah. Michael Johnson was 200, 400. Well, 200, 400 with Michael Johnson. Uh, can't remember who that you know, was who ran Lewis, the one hundred. Uh, Lewis did a lot of the hundred and two hundred, right? Right, and uh, you say Bolt has a uh, the, the one hundred. Most recent one it, that really broke everybody down. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my point is, Doctor Cavill. We need to have our eyes up in the Northwest, and we've got a lot of HBCUs representing in uh, in track. And can North Carolina A&T send their coach out on top in his uh, swan song in uh, for A&T because he does he does not take over the job at Tennessee until after the uh, nationals. Right. It'll be interesting to see what type of way that he goes out. You know, you know, he wants to go out with a bang. Just how much of a bang is going to be fascinating. I think it's unfortunate in terms of uh, what happened in terms of the women at the Big South and how that may um, didn't allow them to qualify in like their own four by 100, as you saw the women. It'd been nice to see two HBCUs in there. Uh, but you have the men, obviously his son in terms of what he does on it. Uh, he just broke a world record in terms of what he was able to do. So you look for yeah, him Ross. to have Ross to have a big Ross Jr. to have a big uh, weekend. And you even have Top and State in there with Manu. Uh, um, Joseph Manu, that is, in terms of double up in the spring events and NCAA National Championship in the 100, 200 meter dash uh, after his performance in both events at the NCAA East preliminaries on a wet Friday evening at Indiana University's Hall track and field complex. So he's going to be getting in there and getting it done. So look to see what he's able to do um, at the Nationals. And some of the people he'll be up against, Middle Tennessee State, uh, Alaba will be in there, Kentucky's Lance Lang, or some folks that he'll be running up against in terms of LSU, Dorian Camel. So you see big-time Division One programs uh, between K- Kentucky and LSU out of SEC. They're always strong, as well as Tennessee. So uh, with Ash over there, favorite Ash or some others that he'll be up against. But he's right in the mix uh, with the time that he was able to bring. So it'll be fascinating to see can he run his one of his best races, whether that's in the 100 or 200 or both. You know, where they're staggered could be a part of that in terms of what's looking in there. But celebrating North Carolina A&T, as you said, to see if they can go out of the bank. You got Salmon um, and the freshman teammate, Grace, uh, is going to be out there in terms of what they can get done in the Nationals for the 100, 200 meters will be along with senior 400 runner uh, Delicia McDuffie uh, is going to be getting in there, getting it done as they go up to Eugene, Oregon. And that is June 8th through the 11th uh, when you'll start seeing uh, what these individuals are able to do uh, in terms of these big time races. You'll see Simon will be up, Trishana Hemmings of Clemson uh, that ran a 13-13. So Simon had that race at 1278. So she could be in some 
good standings in terms of what they're able to do. Yeah, the Florida runner, just letting you know the mix in terms of some of these uh, people that are out there that you keep your eyes on in terms of these races. So it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what Coppin State Eagles are able to do, North Carolina A&T, the Aggies, both men's and women's, obviously. Uh, Howard in terms of that four before the Lady Bison, as you talked about what they're able to do. So I'm fascinated to see what this looks like uh, in terms of these races. We've seen Lincoln at the Division II level continue to do what they're able to do in a lot of ways. We shouted them out last week in terms of being, you know, top five programs up there, um, not quite doing what they usually do in terms of national. We've seen it turn over a little bit. St. Augustine is another program perennial historically in terms of what's going on there. And that's Lincoln, Missouri, uh, for those that may not be familiar with the HBCU at the Division II level, that continues to churn out championships or top five finishes. So that is going to be fascinating to me in a lot of ways. Let's turn it over a little bit. And before we get into our second break, SWAC, in terms of the Commissioner Cup Award, was presented in Prairie View. And Prairie View did the triple fashion. You know, in track and field, they did the double-double in terms of winning indoor and outdoor, and that went a long way in terms of them getting the triple-triple, I call in this. When I say triple, meaning they won it in terms of the men's overall cup, and I'll break that down. They won it in terms of the women's overall cup uh, award, if you would, for both the men's and women, and then they won the cup, which is overall the way I should say that. So let's start with women first. Shivery's not dead. It was the closest race, if you would, uh, with Prairie View edging out Alabama State, 97 to 95. And in third place was Jackson State. In terms of some of the teams uh, that you may be interested um, in terms of some of the other ones out there, Jackson is top four, Texas Southern at five. Tied for six is Grambling State and FAMU. They were at, tied at 58 apiece. In terms of the programs, uh, backing that up is Alcorn State at 55. Complex, the Golden Lions, were 53.5, just edging out Alabama AM. That was at 53 flat. You had Bethune Cookman at 40, and Mississippi Valley at 19.5 in terms of the women. Again, uh, Prairie View gets it done winning the Maggie Jacket Award. And the Maggie Jackie Award, for those that may not be familiar of what that is, just to give you some indication, since we have the new expanded members of SWAC for FAMU and uh, Bethune Cookman folks that are out here jump on that. Uh, so you know what the Maggot Jacket Award is presented to the Wentons top athletic program in the SWAC. It is named after former Jackson State women's basketball coach, Shadi Maggie, and the former Purdue A&M track and field coach, Barbara Jackie. Maggie was the first women's basketball coach at Jackson State, compiling four SWAC regular season titles and three straight National Association Women's Sports National Championships from 1978 to 1980. Jacket led Prairie View A&M to eight cross-country, nine indoor, and five outdoor SWAC titles in 1965 to 1991. Uh, she was also head coach of the 1992 U.S. Uh, Women's Olympic track team that brought home four gold medals, three silver medals, and three bronze medals from Barcelona, Spain. She recently passed, and we, you know, paid honor to her. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Coach Barbara Jacket. In terms of the men, Breaking down that a little bit is the C.D. Henry Award. Prairie View is our Jackson State that came in second. A uh, little wider margin than on the women's side, which was two points. On the men's side, it was five. Prairie View was 70. Jackson State was 65. Texas Southern is top five in both as they are 62, much like Jackson State was top five and actually top three uh, in both, if you would. 
Southern, four. So they top four, running four solid on each, is in the fourth spot at 56 points. Alabama State, top five program, 51.5. So it's interesting to see that you see those top five programs pretty much across the board um, with FAMU at six, just outside of that. And they were tied for six in terms of overall, give you some indication where they are with the overall landscape of the program, which brings on some of the questions that y'all talked about or heard on ONG um, and it's been out there on the spittosphere in terms of the financial uh, framework of what people are looking at, FAMU athletics. I won't take too deep a dive in there, but it'll be interesting to see the correlation and if anybody's looking at that in terms of overall performance. Bringing us to number seven is Alcorn State with 44. Bethune-Cookman had a higher finish on the men's side than the women with 43.5. And number nine, you have Arkansas Pine Bluff, which is nine on both sides. Grambling dips as they were high on the women, but lower on the men at 38.5. And at 11, you have Alabama A&M uh, uh, at 11 at 34.5. And Mississippi Valley State at 22, uh, rounding out the bottom of both the men's and women's. C.D. Henry, give you some updates for those that are not aware of that. The C.D. Henry Award is presented to the top men's athletic programs, as you probably could get. The award is named after C.D. Henry, former Grambling State Chairman of the College of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation Department from 1958 to 1974, as well as serving as the Executive Officer and Secretary Statistician for the SWAC in 1968 all the way to 1973. Henry became the first African-American Assistant Commissioner of any conference office when he joined the Big Ten Conference in June of 1974 to give you some historical perspective of what that is. Um, and so that brings us to the overall. Who got it done overall, as you can imagine, with Prairie View at the top of women's, Prairie View at the top of men's, you knew that they were going to get it done as they win the Jane Frank Commissioner's Cup Award with 167 stretching it out for Jackson, which was uh, number two at 150 points. Alabama State is 146.5. Texas Southern at 121.5. At number five is Southern, 119. FAMU is six, 106.5. At number seven is Alcorn State at 99. Grambling State at 96.5. Arkansas Pine Bluff at 95 even. Alabama A&M at 87.5. Bethune-Cookman at 83.5. And Mississippi Valley at 41.5 of the 12 top teams. And James Frank, for those don't realize, obviously the Commissioner's Cup, so you imagine he was the commissioner. But let me give you a quick bio just so you can take some appreciation of just what is the news about James Frank. He was the, this is awarded the commission cup named after former league commissioner, James Frank, who led the SWAC from 1983 to 1998 is awarded to the university compiling the highest combined total men's and women's all sports points from 1983 until his retirement in 1998. Dr. Frank served as commissioner of the Southwestern athletic conference, better known as the SWAC. He returned to his position as interim commissioner April of 2001, where he served for 20 months during his guidance, the conference evolved to rank among the elite in the nation. Dr. James Frank was one of a few individuals who elevated through his collegiate ranks as a student athlete, college educator, college president, and conference commissioner. During a long and distinguished career of over 15 years, Frank's efforts and influential leadership touched the lives of countless people and resulted in a positive change in many organizations he served. He was the first African-American uh, to be president of the NCA during his stint before he came from the SWAC up there at Lincoln University, um, where he was 
the uh, athletic director up there. Um, so a lot of history when you talk about Dr. James Frank. So I did want to share that before we go to this break, any thoughts overall based on some of that history uh, that you thought was important to share? And I'm glad that you brought that out because it's a great point. Yeah, well, for me, being a newbie to the SWAC, uh, obviously been been MEAC most of my collegiate life uh, with Florida A&M being in the MEAC and obviously uh, a SIAC fan with my uh, background at Tuskegee. It's nice to know the backstories of why these awards are named for whom, what, what they did and what their contribution was to their institutions and or uh, of the conference. That's number one. Number two, when you look at what it takes to win an award such as this, either on the gender level or on the overall level, it's it's a shout out to not only the student athletes, but to but to the coaches, the trainers, the SIDs, the athletic director, the administration. And the, the, the boosters, the contributors, the, the alumni, and everybody has their part in doing this. And we, when you look at it, at this, you know, obviously Prairie View won, it, won the Triple Crown, but you take a look at Jackson State, placed in the top three in, in all of them. Alabama State top three in, in two, uh, two of the three categories. So this these show departments that ha- have vision. Even when changes in leadership occur, these departments have the vision, have the people in place who could continue on, on the mission, no matter. I, and I, I don't want to say it's plug and play because it's not, it's not that simple, but the fact that you have a plan that, when Dr. Cavill gets hired to come to your university, all he has to do is pull the plan off the shelf, read it, make sure he understands, ask the appropriate questions, and then implement the plan. That's, to me, from the outside looking in, what this means, that these institutions rank highly. And last thing before I get out of here, uh, I look at where Florida and Bethune ranked in these in their first year, and they ranked smack dab in the middle. But they, they came in with one arm tied behind their back because Florida A&M and Bethune coming from the MEAC did not compete in all of the sports that you could have qualified for points in. You know, fam, you just so happy to drop their tennis team just before they entered into the SWAC. Neither one of these institutions have women's soccer. Uh, Bethune does not have women's bowling so i expect as these institutions will ultimately add those those missing elements into their uh into their catalog of sports and once they do let's see how far these newbies move up the ladder uh in in a few years once they add those uh those missing sports to their uh to their uh to their library Oh, that's a great point when you talk about those sports um, that they're not participating in and how it affects the scoring. Because you do have some other SWAC schools. About five years ago, the SWAC went away from their mandate and making sure that you had to offer all sports. So, for example, as you talk about Texas Southern, doesn't have men's and women's tenants. Uh, but in terms of those top programs, you see them having a lot more sports. Jackson State 
couple of years dropped their golf program. So it is going to be fascinating to see strategically how you work through that. And a lot of benefit, to be frank with this, in terms of Prairie View is what they were able to do in track and field um, in terms uh, of massing so many points. So also the input and importance you may have on track and field can also uh, put uh, points on the board in terms of the programs coming to the SWAC. So great point that you make there overall. What, one other thing. If Prairie View does not have the hiccup that they had at the start of the men's basketball season, because let's be real, you could almost throw the month of January out for Prairie View's basketball. Uh, Three which losses. They, which, they, which they barely qualified for, for the tournament, having to essentially backdoor their way into the tournament. Just think how high Prairie View would have finished had they had they not had the hiccup that they had in January in basketball and was still able to win not only on the men's side because it affected the men uh, more than it affected the women, but it was still able to catch the overall uh, commissioner's cup. Woo, nice touch, nice touch. But let's go to our midway break as we bring in the relievers. We still got 30 minutes. We're going to give you 30 more minutes. Uh, we're going to break down the trip to uh, North Carolina, so we'll be right back after this break. Your ad could be ran here. MyJBN.com backslash support. MyJBN.com backslash support for more information. Mobile banking from Truist actually works for you. It gives you simple, smart, personalized insights to keep you one step ahead. Because we think that's the kind of control you deserve over your money. When you start with care, you get a different kind of bank. Truist. Download the mobile app now. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge, featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna laugh, yeah, and who the So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir, and pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dockerville inside HBC Sports Lab. I wanted to give you a little information I told you and some of those that follow me, and I appreciate you following me uh, on the, all the social media platforms, particularly Twitter, is where a lot of the... Um, dialogue took place in terms of the conference that I put out there when I was on the panel and facilitating 
a presentation there. Um, and it's part of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation, uh, which is about developing leaders um, in the HBCU framework uh, at various levels, but particularly when it comes to getting ready for the presidency. And so this is the, what they refer to as Double uh, IC 2022, which is the inaugural event, which is ideation, innovation, and collaboration, the future of HBCUs, hashtag IIC 2022. So you can uh, go to Twitter and put that in there and you get some more information. But I thought it was important to kind of break this down and, and getting into this. And as we move forward, see about maybe getting Commissioner Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes, who was influential in the organization, particularly this year, as they brought in a fourth track for the first time, um, athletic track, which I participated in. But there is an overall view that they kind of provide, uh, which um, is the introduction in terms of this particular event, which was May 31st to June 2nd today. And again, that's why I was pushing things back so I can make sure I could get my boots on the ground here uh, with some delayed flights. Um, but and overall of the HBCU sector today, and I won't read this all, but kind of ingest just to get you uh, on top of this, if you would, as we get into some of this dialogue. And again, people ask for this question, so that's why I decided to go a little deeper than I normally would. Uh, don't want to make this too academic, but I think it's important for those uh, that seek uh, to get more information about the business side of this, as I always like to talk about. The Higher Education Leadership Foundation and its partners welcome you to hashtag IIC2022. We're excited to gather ideate, innovate, and collaborate on behalf of the future of historically Black colleges and universities. We have invited dreamers, critical thinkers, and thought leaders in the public and private sectors to interrogate the essential question, what does sustainability and self-agency look like for all HBCUs? Um, a paper I wrote um, many moons ago now is still a foundational paper that looks at the history of HBCUs um, and can be moved from more of a sporting lens, athletics lens, which talks about the success and sustainability as part of that paper, particular frameworks that I developed over 20 years of research and practical applications. So that's some of the framework that draw me into uh, participating in. You can expect a space for scholars, practitioners, industry leaders, and administrators to revolutionize HBCU educational context, intentionally design sessions centered around innovative solutions, from across the network of HBCUs in an interactive seminars designed to reinvigorate professionals by encouraging a focus on social emotional wellness. And some of the frameworks uh, of this piece of puzzle, if you would, this three-day session talks about the value of viability and sustainability of HBCUs from five particular frameworks, the business finance track, institutional advancement track, academic affairs track, student affairs and enrollment track, and the last one that was added, which was the athletic track. And the questions to frame our thinking uh, through this was, what is the value of HBCUs currently? How do we remain valuable and viable in the future? And how do we articulate that value into the nation? How can, a fourth one is, how can HBCUs increase sustainability overall? I wanted a particular drawdown because there's a sporting contact is the athletic fourth track, which I was excited because they used that paper I talked about, Cooper, 
JN, Cavill, JK, Cheeks, the State of Intercollegiate Athletics and Historically Black College and Universities, HBCUs, Past, Present, and Persistence, which is in the Journal Issues of Intercollegiate Athletics from 2014. One of the reasons I'm excited about this paper is because it's an open journal. So you literally can go to the internet and I post it every so often. So people over the years that follow me have seen pieces of this, but you know, you gain new people of different parts, so they have not. So you literally can Google up um, HBCUs past, present and persistence. The book will come up, but then right under that, the journal article will come up and you literally can uh, click on it. And as I said, it's an open journal, which is unlike most journals where you have to pay for. I was excited to publish in this journal because it was open, which means more people would have access to it. So that's some of the framing. It also talked about three divisions, NCA.org to give you some framing about that. NC member schools was NCA.org. Um, and obviously we need not leave out NAIA, even though this wasn't part of the framing of this discussion. I'll give you a little introduction here. Collegiate athletics can bridge gaps, bring communities together, and provide unique opportunities to the National Collegiate Athletic Association, covering 24 sports played by 1,098 schools across three divisions. While 53 HBCU schools are NCAA members, 23 are Division I, 20 public, 3 private, and 30 Division II, 15 public, and 15 private. Another 50 HBCUs are unaffiliated. Within that 52, you have the NIA members, which includes the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, which is eight members strong, has some intriguing news, but I want to put it out there. They're talking about some expansion on the table for some memberships that, if it gets done, will blow people away because it's so unique. One of the things I put out there in regards to working with Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes and encourage her to consider it, and hopefully the president see the value of what you're talking about. Obviously, you have the member in Langston. Um, one of the two public institutions, the only public institution that plays football in the NAIA, Suno coming back, obviously, is another public institution in NIA. And then you have those institutions, the Red River Athletic Conference, um, five of them out of the Texas, including Xavier now over there. And then you have some in the Southern States Leagues, Florida Memorial out there in Florida, Sun League, obviously Stillman College, to name some of those programs that are NIA and some other ones as well. But it talks about the funding at NIL. We got into that discussion, which was important. Due to policy changes, student athletes, conversation, name, image, and likeness, collegiate athletics is experiencing dramatic changes that shift the athletic makeup of universities within the NCAA. Also the NIA, I must add, athletic departments must support the needs of students while addressing challenges for both academic and non-academic growth. We had the chance to interview the NIA president that talked about the, the first association that actually legalized name, image, and likeness to give you some upfront about how upfront the NIA was in terms of moving it forward. I was excited about bringing that to the lab listeners. But it also talks about Division I in terms of academic progress. The NCA implemented academic progress in 2002, 2003, I should say, to assess and improve academic performance of student athletes. The benchmark system rewards schools with strong academic performances while also punishing schools that do not meet standards. The Washington Post found that APR disproportionately penalized HBCUs for not achieving benchmarks such as student athletes retention, academic standings, a quarter of HBCU teams has single year APR scores below the minimum 930 between 2012 and 2014 compared to 6% of teams from non 
HBCU institution, institutions, 2012, 2013, and 4% in 2013 and 2014. The benchmarks presume a baseline for student athletes and their backgrounds, but do not account for HBCUs having a different student body that predominantly white institutions, I like to call them historically white institutions, and I also like to use college athletes and student athletes. More on that later, you heard me talk about that. But a lot of that is about the mission driven of HBCUs and how that um, bangs against the fence in a lot of ways against NCA. So he even has some discussions. One president, I won't put his name out there, that he even talked about, um, is there benefit, especially for Division II in NAI institutions that do not get any money uh, from, like you see Division I with the NCA tournament or some of the finances that it came out just recently with the academic progress components that they're giving funding to, does it even be, make sense to be a part of the NCA? Well, in that paper, succession plan was in that paper I mentioned earlier. So those that have interest, you can go check that out and get some frameworks about that. So last thing I did want to get in, some NI policies. We always have good discussions. We'll get in a little more of this during the summer session where we can put a little more meat on the bone, as Charles said earlier. But I think it's important to kind of frame NIL policies with the collectives and folks out there on this. What in, new interim NIL policy does? It prevents individuals to benefit from their NIL, name, image, and likeness. Protects and promotes the national recruiting environment and fair competition. Allow the membership to develop experiences that may impact future policy changes. Retain prohibition on pay-for-play and impermissible inducements. Incorporates student-athletes' feedback, acknowledges the need for school and student-athletes to comply with state law. It does not, however, allow NIL conversation on enrollment at particular institutions. We saw a little beef about Alabama, Texas A&M, and Jackson State, I guess, that we put in there. Allow conversation for athletic participation achievements, permit conversation for work and performance. As we get in, maybe a little bit of discussion points here. Um, there were some questions that were out here on this in terms of what this looks like, even moving forward uh, in terms of this, is questions that frame the thinking and the discussions that took place around the athletic track work. Six poignant questions. How do we better support athletes' needs, non-academic and academic? How are the athletic departments structured to support student-athletes' needs and balance new compliant measures from NAIA to the NCAA? How do we meet staffing needs to support new athletic initiatives? How do we plug athletics into our overall university student enrollment efforts? How do we manage NIL to better grow and compete? What are the different ways the public, private, large, small institutions will or should tackle these changes? Uh, it's important from one thing that I need to put out here, since we have so much chatter uh, on social media, particularly, and you know how I talk about marketing, there was a part of the funding of NILs that was in here that says better use of marketing and social media is a cost-effective opportunity to improve fan and community engagement. This includes updates to athletic departments, websites, social media pages, posting scores, and schedules, which also is something that I'll talk about is the need for considered support and funding for alumni, because one of the reasons you do not have as much social media access is the number of people that are involved in what we refer to sports information departments and or the marketing departments, just the paucity of individuals that can do that work. So if there are direct funding opportunities, I think it would be embraced by these institutions to help standardize some of these things that we talk about, the marketing, 
as well as social media, which I think contextually is extremely important. So wanted to kind of put that on the table as we got in here. So I hope that provides some additional contextual framework what's going on there. The gentleman from North Carolina Central uh, with his family-based Jackson State University um, finance side really is working on a dissertation. I can't wait till he finishes it. Um, and so that was fascinating to just kind of hear some of the work that he was talking about in his um, interview as I did with him. Uh, he did a great job uh, of just talking about uh, Derek McGee is the individual who went into the finances and talks about how sometimes we don't create all the costs associated with the student side of the college athletes that come in. So oftentimes at the board, there is a lower cost associated because they're just looking at what we're paying out in scholarships and not necessarily what these students are bringing back in terms of the cost of attendance and things of that nature getting into the university. So his points were spot on. Uh, we did not get to tape all that interview. I taped some of the questions out there, but we'll see about getting him on the show so he can talk a little more detail and pay that back. But with that said, I'll pass the mic over and let you jump in here. And I know that was a lot, Drew, um, but what are your thoughts in terms of what I kind of put on the table or any particular questions you may have? First of all, uh, before I even get into the questions, I just want to take a moment and, and thank you. Before I actually had a chance to rub elbows with you, when I would Google stuff and look up different things that I wanted to know about HBCU sports, uh, business side of HBCU sports, that there was his name, uh, Cavill, because I didn't know I didn't know how to say it then. That always <laughs> seemed to seem to come up, and <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna be honest. I was looking for some, about some 75 year old uh, man <laughs> <laughs> because 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 the because the work had, expanded, had expanded cool. so, so many years. If you understand what I'm saying, that's why yes, I was expecting yes, somebody yes. who was about 65, 70, 75 years old, uh, who was who was trying to keep up with the times. And then obviously I had the opportunity to meet with you and have and have worked with you on uh on a couple of projects. So for those who do not know, you know, they think that it's just a podcast or a couple of tweets or a Facebook page. No. This brother right here, who's on, who I share, happen to share this screen with, has a wealth of knowledge that he brings, and a lot of times, y'all, he brings he brings his stuff to you all for free. Now he don't give you everything for free, but he give you enough to to wet your palate for free. If if, if I'm making sense to you, so those of y'all who lab listeners, y'all need to go in right now and thank this brother for all the work that he has done throughout the years to help and support HBCU athletics. That I, I just had to get that off of my chest first. That's I appreciate that. It means a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the accolades is not why you do this, but I do appreciate the acknowledgement and know what's in your heart of why you brought to the table. But I, I, I do sincerely appreciate that. And I'm glad that people recognize the work. That's, that's more important that people are utilizing the work. I mean, there are a lot of great academics out there um, that have labored literally for their life and put out some extremely important work, but it's not always utilized in the public sphere. So the fact that I'm recognized with 
you know, commissioners, athletic directors, VPs, presidents were coming up to me acknowledging what I bring to the table. That is extremely important to me because they're utilizing the work and they're taking advantage of the opportunity. And if it wasn't for the lab listeners that are interested in this, there would be no need for this platform, no matter who wants to use it. So exactly. shout out to the lab listeners that see this more than just a space to entertain. And, and let me be clear with this. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. You know, right. that has its purpose in place, but we try to do it a little differently. And we appreciate those folks that see some value in it. And obviously we try to entertain you as well. So we're not going to try to act like uh, we're just the classroom here because that, that's a little too much. Uh, plus, I do get paid for the classroom style like that, so I don't want to put it all on here. But we'll put enough on here to make sure that uh, we wet your palate. Uh, and if you want more, just let us know. We'll do that. We'll go ahead, Drew. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, and I've to totally lost my uh, train of thought here for a minute because I just got a text from somebody. But the, the one question that I do have for you, Dr. Gaville, and it's going kind of all we're going back to the beginning of what you said, there were five different, uh, what did you what did you call them? Five different themes. I don't know that's not the word that you used. Yes, there were uh, five, five different, different value, viabilities and tracks okay. that they used, correct. Okay. Uh, my question is, were there any outcomes during this meeting? On, I, I know the problem did not get solved there, but were there any outcomes or planning for outcomes that combines all those five uh those five themes towards one common goal yeah there there were outcomes that were workable out of each succession and then they had these major sessions where they brought everybody together for some things and they captured all and so there are key components or key people that are over this that were over um the year i guess you would say and beyond that really um, that will capture that and start working on uh, groups that are looking at doing white papers. There'll be collective think tanks where a lot of the inertia and more information will take place of trying to churn out even more outcomes. So you had a lot of things that were posted for people to come back for, but this right now was to germinate that information and get that process really going. And you're right, it was not to solve anything immediately because these are concerns that are not something that you can come in a couple of days and hours and think that you can just solve the world. These are issues that are deeply embedded and take time. And so part of those outcomes were captured, which is an important part of your question that you're asking me, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, 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 and I hope, because obviously I've been a part of conferences like this, uh, committees like this, think tanks like this. And so, so many times, Dr. Gaville, we come up with these great ideas over these two, th three day conferences. And then no one else even thinks about it until next year this time for the next two, three year conference. So I challenge all those people who were there at that conference with you, Dr. Kavir, to actually, you're not gonna get everything done. I don't care, I don't care how, how many ideas you have, you're not gonna get everything done. That's but right. I challenge you to make some progress towards go and, and, and at least each if each institution knocks one of those things off the board, our HBCUs will be in a better place at a better space on let's see, June 2nd, 2023, than it is on June 2nd. 2022. Not saying that we're in a bad place right now, but you always want to have to see progress, Dr. Kabir. 
Great point, great point that you put it there. And I really think that's a, a tremendous place uh, to leave it in terms of those thoughts, unless you have anything else that you want to share before we bring it to close. Tell people exactly where they can go get more of this great information on the Black College Sports Network. Uh, I, obviously, you, you're watching us on uh, Dr. Kavir's YouTube and Facebook page, but on for Black College Sports Network, we are on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter at MyBCSN and the number one. You can go to the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, download our app, MyBCSN slash MyJBN. Please download the app, a lot, lot of content. And during the summer, we're, we're going to be beta testing some uh, exclusive only content via the app only. So uh, we, as well, we like start, start moving towards some premium content, yeah, we're we still going to give you inside the HBCU Sports Lab for free. We're still going to give you Sports Rap for free, ONG, the pregame show for free. But there are going to be some things that we're going to put into an exclusive content, members only category. So we're trying to get bigger and better, just like all those athletic directors and presidents that Dr. Villa was with earlier this week are trying to get bigger and better. Myself, you can follow me on Twitter at BCSN Drew, BCSN D-R-E-W. Make sure you tune in this Sunday for me and my partner, Brian Fulford, as we bring you another edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. And I, Dr. Kavir, I, I know the ones listening to us right now, so I won't even tell them that uh, Brian and I are coming out with something new next week. Just stay tuned to the BCSN. We're just going to wet your palate over the summer time with some uh, with a new concept. We're gonna beta test it this over the summer time. I, I I just want y'all to say so. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow us. Give us a thumbs up if you can. Uh, one other thing, I you're not the only one. Mine is not academic at all, Doctor Gaville. But I want to <laughs> shout out my uh, my guy Bo Carter who gave me this book while I was in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, anybody who knows me, I am. From St. Louis, Missouri, I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and this is on Dizzy Dean, one of the historically one of the best pitchers in St. Louis Cardinals uh, baseball history. I have not cracked the book open yet, have not had the time, but I just wanted to show it off. It's called Dizzy Dean of Baseball and My Puna by Gene Kirby with Bo Carter and Mark S. Donald. So, uh, if you get a chance, uh, he, he did autograph it for me. You can't quite see it on the screen, but he did give me an uh, autograph copy of it. So, uh, definitely got to get that in uh, on my reading list. Last thing about baseball tomorrow, right here on the BCSN, Minority Baseball Prospects HBCU All Star Game. And what's going to be interesting about that All Star Game, got to Kavir, you're going to have teammates playing teammates so is that it's this is not swack me at east west and everything like that no these teams are mixed up by positions you know somebody outfit if you happen to play for prayer view fine but the best pitcher the, the the pitcher you may be facing also may be from prayer view so it's gonna be interesting to see when we get those same school matchups in this uh hbcu all-star game tomorrow as i will be in atlanta 
doing the uh, play-by-play for the All-Star game. Before we close, I will give the uh, track sessions that were involved to just let you know how deep the conversation was. Uh, Tuesday involved the overview of current issues for the new executive athletic administrators, strategic planning, policymaking, student-athlete wellness and compliance, DEI, assessing culture and climate in HBCU space, talent acquisition, athletics, rock stars, recruiting and retaining high-profile coaches and athletes. Who's next? Preparing a pipeline for coaching and administrators. Athletics, advancement, alumni affairs, maximizing revenue through collaborative partnerships. The value add of collegiate athletics using qualitative and quantitative data analysis. That was the one that I was facilitating. Selling the culture, multimedia rights versus third party. That was a very good session um, uh, that was extremely uh, well involved. Commissioner of the CIAA, Matt Williams, was... um, um, was the facilitator of that event, re-imaging the HBCU Classic when revenue, culture, and feasibility collide. You also had digital marketing and branding using storytelling to enhance fan engagement. NIL and HBCU student-athletes, are we ready? So those were uh, what took place Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So you can see a lot of information was had. So I tell you all that just to let you know that you do have uh, presidents, uh, finance officer, CFOs, athletic director slash vice president of athletics, coaches, administrators, as well as um, faculty members that are engaged in this space and not just about working hard and doing what's necessary, but also trying to figure out the nexus. So I did want to put that on table because sometimes we don't share enough about what's going on in the background of people trying to put it. So that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening to Inside HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Yadikaville, the Dean of HBCU Sports, coming from inside the lab in the College of HBCU Sports with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Mills Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop every Tuesday and Thursday right here at 6 o'clock since the standard time. I'd like to thank A.D. Drew for jumping in here and making sure that we provided you the best program possible for the lab. Follow me, Dr. Yadikaville. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, it's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Inside HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter. Facebook, Inside HBC Sports Lab on YouTube. Dream big and continue to move forward. We'll talk with you soon. Course, A.D. Drew. Lecture. Dismiss. We'll holler.